Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. He says you're living just the way that the world lives, not with the heart and the attitude of Christ, not with the demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't have those things. No, he's afraid they're going to continue demonstrating the fruits of the flesh, contentions and jealousies, outbirths of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. He's afraid of finding the body of believers there in Corinth with this continually need to repent because they haven't repented. In today's message, Pastor David calls the Corinthian believers porcupines. Like the barbs of a porcupine, their actions were causing damage to each other and towards Paul. The behavior Paul heard about did not represent a life that was saved and transformed by God. Despite this tendency, Paul still loves them and pours out his heart in an urgent plea for them to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul patiently loved the Corinthians, God patiently loves us through our mistakes. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Porcupine Christians. Do you know the difference between a koala bear and a porcupine? Well, if you don't, you're going to get stuck with that question, I guarantee you. Oh, I know it's a bad joke, but I want to, can you imagine with me, if you would, trying to hug a porcupine? I mean, really and truly, when you look at these guys, like from a distance, they're all fat and chubby and they're waddling around. They look like they'd be really cute to handle. But it doesn't take you too long to realize, nah, I don't want to hug it. I don't want to pick it up. I don't want to deal with it. Pretty difficult. Well, whenever I read through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that picture comes to my mind of the Apostle Paul trying to hug a porcupine. Because, again, it seems like every way that he turns, there's these issues that he's dealing with, and it seems like they're continually throwing these quills back at him from the readings of 1 Corinthians and all the time that was between those times and the readings in 2 Corinthians. We see, man, Paul is continually trying to show or express his love to the Corinthians, and yet it's in the midst of all of these quills that are coming out. Now, in expressing his love for them, He's dealing with a lot of these points that have actually caused a lot of damage in the past. And so Paul's trying to lessen these things because he knows that if these points go left unchecked, they're going to continue to do damage to the cause of Christ, to the church, and to the testimony of Christ there within that community in the region of Corinth. And so even as Paul writes these closing words here 
in 2 Corinthians, which is where we're at, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as he's writing these closing words here, he's still having to defend himself. He's still having to defend his ministry. He's still having to defend his calling to the church there in Corinth. And even with all of that discomfort, his love for Corinth keeps coming out. And we see it over and over again. Even as he's bringing out their faults and the issues that they have, his love keeps pouring out toward them. He keeps dealing with these sticky points, and yet he keeps moving on. So look with me, if you would, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. We're now down in verse 14. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Wow, that's a pretty staggering statement to make right there. Paul begins to wind down this letter to the Corinthians. And again, he he clarifies to them his intent to come and to visit them. Some look at this and they believe that actually Paul had attempted to go there and that didn't work out. He attempted again, that didn't work out. Now the third time he's trying to attempt to go there. Others look at it at the fact that, well, Paul had started that church. He had moved, come into uh, Corinth. Some came to know Christ. They started the church there. He stayed there for about a year and a half. That would have been his first visit. And then he had left and he had come back again sometime between the time the, the writings of First and Second Corinthians for a very short visit. And now as he's writing Second Corinthians, he says, man, I'm planning on coming a third time. So whatever the situation is, one of the things that Paul uh, wanted to be absolutely certain of that the church understood, I'm not going to be a burden to you. You don't need to worry about taking care of me. I want to come and bless you. I'm not coming to you in order that you would bless me. And we understand that here, once again, Paul is talking about one of these sticky points, this idea of financial assistance, uh, financial support. And it seems really clear that as Paul ministered to the church there in Corinth, he didn't receive any kind of financial assistance at all from them. But apparently, There were others who were saying that Paul was only using the church for his financial gain, and there are others that they themselves were actually the ones that were abusing the church and getting the finances themselves. So we covered a lot of that in our earlier studies here, both in first and second, because Paul has to revisit that sticky point a few times in his both of his letters. So Paul's not against the ministers of the church receiving financial support. Again, he reminded the church that the idea, just as Jesus said, that the worker is worthy of his hire. We read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, whoever goes to war at their own expense, or who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of the fruit, or who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock. He told the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? Those who serve at the altar, they partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But as far as him personally, Paul had even dealt with that situation earlier. 
In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 4, he says that he and they, those that were with him, that they labored working with their own hands. In other words, we're not expecting you to support us. He said even in 2 Corinthians, just back in chapter 11, he said that when I was present with you and I was in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia were the ones that supplied it. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. So again, this is a big point for some reason for this Corinthian church, the financial issue. And Paul is going over and over again that, man, I'm not coming to seek yours. I don't need to seek anything financially from you. I simply seek after you. He's coming to encourage them and to bless them, and yes, challenge them in their walk. But I don't need your finances. He goes on to give a practical application that that a lot of folks have really misunderstood through the years. He said, for the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, you need to understand this has absolutely nothing to do with children taking care of their parents in the parents' old age. And if my children are listening on the internet or wherever they might, I, I want to make that very clear for them, okay? No, he's not talking about that kind of, what he's speaking about, he, he's talking about the immaturity of the church there in Corinth. You guys, you guys are still children. You don't need to be taking care of me. I need to continue to be ministering to you. He speaks about the fact that children, while they're small, while they're young, they're not the ones that support the parents. The parents should be the ones that take care of the children until the children are old enough, ready enough, and mature enough to care for themselves. Paul was saying, since you guys are still so young in the faith, you aren't mature enough to be able to understand your responsibilities. And that's where it was. They did not understand their responsibilities to those that were bringing the gospel to them. So Paul says, so I'm not going to take advantage of you. Others may take advantage of you, and they have taken advantage of you, but not me. So then he goes on to say in verse 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. It's like he's saying, man, the closer I try to get to you, the more I'm getting stuck, the more I'm getting damaged. You guys are like hugging porcupines. Man, I want to be there, but every time I try to, I'm being damaged. You're you're, you're throwing these arrows out at me. It would seem that no matter which way the the apostle turned, these sharp points, they were just going and and piercing his heart every way, man. They They were calling into account his calling, Uh, They were calling into account the fullness of his ministry. They were calling into account why he was even coming to them. All of these things. The church was believing the lies that all of these false teachers had been telling them. Lies that Paul was taking advantage of them. Lies that Paul wasn't truly an apostle. Lies that said that Paul's ministry really wasn't of any kind of a value. So Paul continues trying to defend himself and to defend those that he had sent to minister to Corinth in his name. Look at uh, verse 16. But be that as it may, I do not burden you. Ah, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. You see the sarcasm in his voice. He said, oh, I didn't try it. Oh, but I, but I tricked you. I, I got something out of you. Paul, the, the sarcasm that Paul uses, I, I love it. And he doesn't use it all the time. But when he does, I believe that he's a master of it. He just zings right in. He says in verse 17, 
Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus, and I sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, regardless of the damage that he was receiving, it didn't lessen Paul's desire to go ahead and demonstrate his love to this prickly porcupine of a church. Now, Paul, Paul wanted to bring instruction. He wants to bring encouragement to them. He wants them to grow in spiritual maturity. He wants them to display the love of Christ and the message of Christ really to their community. And so this, this battle continues on. Look at verse 19. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you don't wish. Lest there be contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults lest when I come again my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for the many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanness and their fornication and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul uses that phrase, man, I fear. I fear lest when I come. I don't think he's speaking of a fear like danger or death, that kind of a thing. I think that he's speaking in the same way that you and I might use the word, you know, afraid. I'm afraid my team is losing. Or I'm afraid the cake isn't going to turn out the way that I want it to. In essence, it's the idea of, man, I'm, I'm going to be really disappointed. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be regretful because of what's going on in your life. He was afraid he was going to arrive at that church and see them living their lives just the way the rest of the world lives. That he would come into the church that he had birthed and he had spent a year and a half of his life with them and working and ministering with them. He had written them earlier, the first letter, and as we've shared as we've gone through the study, there was probably two other letters that we don't even have a copy of that he refers to in both First and Second Corinthians. Paul cared about this church. He says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that when I get there, you guys are going to look just like the world. And that really troubles me because, again, when I, when I get there, how am I going to be found among you? How am I going to deal with these things? I'm, I'm going to get angry at some of you because you know better. I'm going to be sorrowful and, and mournful because some of you are just caught up in these things and you, you, you can't get out of it or at least you continue to work in you know, the same way. He says you're living just the way that the world lives not with the heart and the attitude of Christ, not with the demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't have those things. No, he's afraid they're going to continue demonstrating the fruits of the flesh, contentions and jealousies, outbirths of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits and tumults. He's afraid of finding the body of believers there in Corinth with this continually need to repent because they haven't repented. They claim Christ as their Savior, 
and yet they continue to live their lives in uncleanness and fornication and lewdness. Like he says, there, you, and you continue to practice these things. You're supposed to be the body of Christ. You're supposed to be the children of God, the bride of Christ. And this is the way that you're living? You claim you love Jesus, and yet we see all these other things going on in your lives. And he had gotten many, many reports. I tell you what, it can be really hard to love a porcupine when they're living that way, and yet Paul's love continues on. Let's look on in chapter 13. He continues with the same thought. And again, he says, this is going to be the third time I'm I'm coming to you. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I've told you before, and, and I'm telling you again, as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Oh, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. What Paul is saying here, he's reminding them, I am going to be there. I'm I'm coming there. And when I come, guess what? I'm going to have clippers in my hands. And I'm going to be clipping off all these sharp spines. I'm going to be trimming down those things that are causing damage within you as a body and for the testimony of Christ in that area. Uh, These that are continuing to live their lives again in the way of the world and yet proclaiming that they're believers, Paul says, man, we can't have that. We're going to deal with that when I get there. But he also lets them know that he's going to be fair in his judgments. He says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. He had heard a lot of things about the church. He had heard about all the sinful lifestyles, and and maybe he had even heard names. Oh, man, Paul, I I just left Corinth, and that one brother, you know, uh, well, I won't even use a name because somebody say, he used my name. I've heard that one brother that he's still living in adultery over here. I've heard this one brother over here, man, he's still cheating. Oh, this, this one gal, man, she continues going on in these of, of, of wrath and, and rage and on and on it goes. And Paul has heard these things about them. And he says, man, when I get there, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, I'm not going to take anybody's just word for it. We're going to be fair in this thing. He's not going to jump right into this thing, but he is going to work in reference to sin and in reference to righteousness. He's going to take his time to make correct judgments before he extends the punishment, and he's not going to spare any who continue to live their lives wrongly and yet still within the church profess Jesus Christ as their Lord. The false prophets and even some of the Corinthians were boasting that the power of God was working and was evident in them, but apparently not in the Apostle Paul. After all, the Apostle Paul hasn't come. He's left. We're the ones. We see God working in us. And you know, Paul, again, he gives these small little words. There's nothing really powerful about him. But here Paul says, that's okay. That's okay. They can say all they want to. But we'll see who the power of God is working in when I get there. And we'll deal with this situation when I get there. That apostolic call on Paul uh, and on his life is going to make a difference when he gets to Corinth. 
He's not going to be working in the flesh. He's going to be dealing with them in the power of the Holy Spirit. These false teachers, and those that continue to, to live false and, and live in, in the flesh in their lives, they're going to be revealed and they're going to be dealt with. And he's telling them, it's time to get serious about your relationship with Christ. You call yourself a believer, and yet look at the way that you're living. Are you truly living in the way that the world around you can look and see they're different? They're different. Are we living Christ before the world? He calls them to take nothing for granted. You say you said a little prayer back when you were in fifth grade. That's great. But tell me now, where are you in Christ? You said at the end of a big campaign or a group of revival meetings, you went forward and and repeated a prayer after someone. That's great, but tell me, where's your life right now? That's what we need to do. Look what he says there in verse 5 of chapter 13. And again, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to you and I. He says, examine yourselves as to whether or not you're in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. There's no doubt that a lot of the problems, in fact, probably most of the problems there in Corinth stemmed from this attitude and this action of some that profess to be believers And yet in reality, they weren't. Paul challenged them to examine themselves, to see if they were really and truly born again. And beloved, we have that same problem within the church today. People that come through church doors, people that sit in Bible studies. And, And I'm not so naive as to not realize it, even in a situation here tonight. Some that have at one point in time in their life have maybe said a prayer or made a commitment, but yet there was never any real true follow-through. There was never any real growth going on in their life. Or maybe it's someone who has just simply decided, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to live my old life. I want to start living like Christians live. And so they come and they walk through the church door and they put upon themselves the mantle of a Christian and they say, I now are one, okay? Bad English, but good theology, okay? Just because you're in the church doesn't make you a Christian. And I believe that that was happening in Corinth. And yeah, I believe it happens today just as easily. Because again, if people come into a place where the Word of God isn't solidly taught, if repentance isn't called for within people's lives, then how easy it is to come and to sit week after week after week and say, yes, I'm a Christian. I just don't let it affect the rest of my life. How about that examination? How does one go about examining themselves? Now, we could judge ourselves according to the world's standards, and we could look around and say, well, I'm better than he is, so I must be okay. I don't do all the old things I used to do, so I'm much better now, so I must be a Christian. We could judge by the world's standards and think that we're okay, but that's not the standard that God gives us. Open our hearts. 
thank you for listening to today's message from The Open Word. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 2 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us next time on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound, Bible-based teachings with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at TheOpenWord.com, be sure to click on About for more information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is TheOpenWord.com. That's all the time we have for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a blessed day.